breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Always an honor to be with you, and uh, hopefully you're looking for a little bit of time to uh, uh, get caught up on those issues often that the mainstream media just will not share with you. A few stories here and there that will set you on the right path to disbanding, to dispensing with political correctness, embracing chaos, and beginning to... Look at your Muslim friends and neighbors with tough love, with a sense of, you know what, we're not going to look at the minority groups of this country in the United States with a bigotry of low expectations. No, we're going to hold them accountable to the same standards we hold everybody else. And that's how you begin reform. And I think we have a responsibility here in America, here in the West, to use the laboratories of freedom that we have to spread the ideas of reform, spread the ideas of modernity that we can do here. So we got a few things to talk about this week. In this episode, we've got oh a little app that was banned in Europe. We've got some litigation that finally put care on its heels and care lost. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about the Ummah. You know, we Muslims had our second biggest holiday of the year. We just finished our monthly fast of Ramadan, and I will tell my Muslim brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that your fast was fulfilled, that you had a month of atonement and spiritual reflection, that you found it rewarding, that you came closer to your families, that you renewed your sense of purpose, you renewed your sense of clarity, and you shed all that baggage that piles up on our shoulders over the year and in this month of spiritual recitation of scriptural deep dives if you will that uh, you found it revealing and you found it helpful we had our Eid al-Futr the holiday of the feast on uh, Tuesday this week that's for most rational Muslims on Tuesday I still can't believe you know there we use the lunar calendar which is which is fine, as, as the Jewish community does. And it's 355 days, approximately, 354, based on moon sightings and the variability that we know down to about the accuracy of 14 to 15 months in advance. But we still, Muslims want to use the old 7th century method of looking and seeing the moon with the eye to verify what we know by scientific understanding and scientific measurements, which is fine. Well, not necessarily fine. I'm against avoiding science. <laughs> I think, fine, you can verify something with the eye if you want, but go with science. Have one calendar and have the world agree on what our holidays are for crying out loud. But no, Jordan, Egypt, a few other countries decided to be on their own and have the holiday on Wednesday. And we have this debate every time we have to come together for holidays and beginning of Ramadan and other things. Ramadan is the ninth month of the lunar calendar, so... That's why this debate came up. And what's bizarre is having the holiday on Wednesday actually, no matter which way you think of it, is irrational because it would would have made the month have 31 days, which is impossible on a lunar calendar. And it goes into day two of the next lunar month. So 
the 10th month. So it's almost an intentional sectarian division to those countries that did that or those communities that didn't. You saw some niche communities in America that decided to do the holiday on Wednesday, but most did go with it on Tuesday. And I think that this irrationality, this inability to completely 100% depend on science shows the fossilization and how archaic much of the mindset is of the leaders of our communities. But now they would say division is, I say division is good when you talk about ideology, but some things are just irrational when done purely in the name of tradition versus rationality. Well, anyways, I hope uh, everybody had a wonderful Eid al-Fitr, holiday of the sacrifice, holiday of the holiday of the feast. I'm sorry, holiday of the sacrifice is our major holiday, which we will talk about in August this year. But the holiday of the feast is the first day of the 10th month. We had our prayer services, and many of us listened to sermons. I remember a few years back, I remember the sermon of my mosque actually ended up highlighting me as the problem on this Eid al-Futr. But that was in 2014, five years ago, and we talked about that. We won't revisit those old wounds, but they certainly understood to be held accountable for what's said in sermons here in America. You know, in Europe, a Muslim app, a Muslim app has been banned because it contained anti-Semitic rhetoric. Good on them, as the Australian saying would go, good on them. Google dumped this Dublin-based Eurofetwa, as the app is called, after a newspaper, the Sunday Times, revealed that it contained hate speech from a controversial preacher. Controversial preacher is Imam Yusuf Qardawi, the one of the most prominent spiritual guides of the global Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, and has one of the most prominent shows in Al Jazeera. He's on his way to pushing 90 years old, but still pretty much intact when it comes to caliphism, Islamist supremacism, anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial, and other horrific ideologies. Google removed his app from its online store after the Sunday Times revealed it contained anti-Semitic rhetoric. The Eurofetwa was launched by his notorious organization, the European Council for Fetwa and Research, ECFR, based in Dublin. And it's thought to be a guide for Muslims. The app's introduction opens with Yusuf Khradawi preaching, who's well known as the spiritual head of the Muslim Brotherhood, and he's been banned, banned from the UK and France for extolling extremist ideas. And what happened was, in the app's introduction, Qardawi speaks about previous fatwas, ruling on Islamic law, during which he makes a defamatory reference to Jews, so it was removed. And the reason I want to tell you about this is not only just because one app got removed, but it's just fascinating to me how lack of systematic process this has. You've got YouTube banning, a Google company also, banning conservatives, banning large followings, blocking them 
for unknown reasons because of supposedly offensive speech. And this guy has one little app removed. And yes, we call that a victory in the anti-Islamist battles, but they've got mosques, they've got articles, columnists, op ed writers and activists in the streets and, and, and publishing and speaking on television. Mahdi Hassan on Al Jazeera, Mahdi Hassan on CNN. You've got uh, uh, numbers of, of radical Islamists speaking out. Nobody talking about what his European Council on Fatwa and Research of Qardawi is saying and doing and where they get published. And its cousin, the Assembly of Muslim Jurists of America, AMJA, the fatwa factory for the United States, similar to this fatwa factory for Europe, produces tons of anti-Semitic, anti-American, separatist ideas. I don't think they should be banned. I think they should be exposed. I think they should be constantly pointed out as being the corrupt, oppressive leadership of the American Muslim community. And this is the corrupt leadership of the European Muslim community, based on a Qatar. And yet somehow you remove one app and, oh, this means we're protected. Oh, Europe is doing great. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Never mind uh, Emmanuel Macron's speech just a few weeks ago in which he said, political Islam is a separatist movement that is a nation within a nation that threatens their security. When he had that, what appeared to be a momentary fleeting epiphany of reality. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's beyond an app. I didn't, I, could, I don't have access to exactly what was said in the app as to what my specific opinions are. Any time in which these radical Islamists like Qardawi that spreads his horrific Holocaust denial are put in their place, I cheer it. But listen, I come back to what I've said on this podcast so many times. We need a internet free speech bill of rights we need a social media free speech bill of rights a technology free speech bill of rights call it what you will but there needs to be standards in which you know what i will defend to the death people who try as this isn't my saying this is voltaire whoever uh, if he was appropriated that quote i don't care it's a good one which is we should all defend to the death the right for people to say things offensive whatever it may be you want to start labeling things hate speech there's a slippery slope there should we condemn racism absolutely should we condemn bigotry absolutely should we remove them from private platforms if I ran that company, I certainly would. But there needs to be a mechanism in which when somebody's banned, saying things that are obviously racist should be without a doubt like pornography, as the Supreme Court said. We know what porn is, and you know it when you see it. Things that are debatable like somebody condemning the faith of Islam, putting a, a, a cross in urine or other things that are thought to be art, thought to be criticism, should not be covered up, should not be prevented because ideas do not have rights. 
It's just words together. And if a faith cannot withstand or needs oppressive obstruction of free speech in order to preserve its respect, then you know what? Maybe that faith has a problem. Maybe that faith doesn't deserve the respect of the world's community if it needs blasphemy laws to be invoked in in areas of freedom that Christianity, Judaism, and other major faiths do not need similar protections. So this is about the amp. Next, I want to give congratulations to the Middle East Forum and the case that's been settled settled by the Council on American-Islamic Relations, who are the defendants against, brought by a, a, the plaintiffs, the American Freedom Law Center, who sued CARE on behalf of five victims of massive fraud perpetrated by CARE lawyer Morris Days. Not to be confused with, I believe it's Morris Dees of the SPLC, who's also got big problems. But CARE's decision to finally settle The case came only after two very adverse court decisions. And this is from the Middle East Forum. They said the first decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia reversed an earlier dismissal of the lawsuit brought by AFLC co-founders and senior counsel David Yershalmi and Robert Muse. The Court of Appeals decision, the second appeal in this long-standing case that included allegations of criminal racketeering by care mandated that the federal district court permit the case to go to a jury set for September 2019. The second court decision was by the trial court, which refused to dismiss the consumer fraud statute count, which meant that the AFLC's client would receive attorney's fees irrespective of the amount the jury awarded as long as the jury found care liable. And this has been fought litigation for a decade in this case. They they stood their ground month after month, year after year, to continue to hold them accountable. I have to tell you, and the reason I'm taking the time on this case, so many of the folks that do anti-Islamist work are inappropriately labeled with the term Islamophobes, bigots, all this other nonsense, when in fact this work that showed the fraud perpetrated upon Muslims by Morris Days as he supposedly was working for the civil rights of Muslims when in fact he was defrauding them. Fraud. Misrepresenting their work, misrepresenting their qualifications. is pro-Muslim. There's nothing more pro-Muslim than putting folks that oppressed and duped and exploited Muslims for their own financial rewards in order to generate more funds and more donations as they exploited more Muslims. That is pro-Muslim, is to put these thugs from care in their place. These Islamist Hamas-type operatives that have been proven in multiple federal filings to be part of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups from Hamas have been put in their place, have been minimized now, 
marginalized and maybe the tribal mindset now how many muslims are going to hear about this well where is the mainstream media talking about this case ladies and gentlemen your your props on msnbc and cnn have just suffered a huge fraud settlement There were five plaintiffs. It took 10 years. One of the plaintiffs passed away and another was deported to South America. They exposed CARE's massive fraud and concerted cover-up that included CARE assuring its victim clients that it would address their immigration legal problems. In fact, our former client, as Yershalmi said, would be granted, I'm sorry, our former client who's still a plaintiff in this litigation was deported but only after care had assured him that he would be granted legal status through an asylum program that he otherwise qualified for. But for care's fraud, our former client would still be in the United States. Unfortunately now, unfortunately now he is in parts unknown. As a result, we could no longer represent him this in this litigation. While this claim against care remains, it will likely be dismissed unless he shows up and makes an appearance. The lawsuit began after CARE hired for its Virginia offices a fake lawyer, Morris Days, who defrauded dozens if not hundreds of CARE clients. And then they, and then they engaged in a cover-up when it began to unravel and expose his fraudulent credentials. They closed down his Virginia office, fired the lawyer, claiming that CARE victims that Days was not actually a CARE lawyer. But they did know about it. And they just tried to cover it up. So thank you to AFLC, to MEF, and all those who actually seem to care a lot more about honest Muslim interests than the Islamist oppressive militants do. Advocacy militants who really use this issue in order to tribally control and radicalize our communities. Now, my main subject today, my main subject is about the Ummah. Ummah, Ummah Wahide. Ummah means community, but actually it means state, nation, one nation. We think of America, one nation under God. The reason I want to talk about this is you look at sermons, often in these big sermons after a large holiday, during a large holiday after one of the two major holidays, Eid al-Futr or Eid al-Adha, holiday of the feast or holiday of the sacrifice, whatever it may be, they use the refrain, we are one nation, if one part is ill, we are all ill, if we come together, let's forget our divisions on and on. The refrain about unity is just agnosium. What is that all about? What is that all about? And I think ultimately, you know, you, th you look at it and it is part of what I'm fighting. The, the, the need to defeat, the need to defeat the ideology of political Islam separatism. Remember, what did Farrakhan call his group? The Nation of Islam. What did 
the Islamic State call itself? The Islamic State in Iraq and Syria and the Levant and Sham. The OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, is basically a neo-caliphate. These states should come together and do a caliphate. The Khalifa is the successor, the representative of God, the, the, the embodiment of enacting the law of God on earth. The United Nations in Arabic is Al-Umam Al-Muntahideh. Umam, which means the group of nations. Al-Muntahideh means united. The word Ummah differs from a concept of country or people. In other words, a shab, a people, shab. So when you look at it in its greater context, it's really about faith nation. That needs to be defeated. You can't defeat radicalization. You can't defeat the corruption of Islamism as long as the Islamic State Ummah continues to have oxygen. So this is why if there's one thing I would recommend it's the de-ummatization, de-umma, de-ummatization of Islam. And what does that mean? De-ummatization. It means we should still, we need faith community for worship, for prayer, for holidays, for fasting, for spirituality, for the technology, if you will, of that group, group worship, which I think every congregation and every faith finds it to be a powerful meaningful act as human beings that we come together. But that should be separate from our nation states. That should be separate. Yes, we need faith communities, plural, not one. Faith communities for education, for socialization, for families, for, for sharing of moralities and ethics and other things that we teach one another. But that can also be through interfaith or those who are secular. I learn much of my morality from those who I trust and befriend, unrelated to the specific details of our faith, but more to the general moral constructs of what it means to trust and to be trusted and to have integrity and morality. So many people pray and bow and do the things of faith, and yet you wouldn't trust them further than you could throw them because... They clearly lack integrity while they pretend to be religious. So what does religious mean? We'll get into that. We've got into that in some other podcasts. But the de-ummatization is so important because this toxicity that we see as, as the sermons on the holidays that we just have, Muslims nodding and sort of repetitively agreeing with the sermonizer who pounds his hand and says, we need to be one nation, one ummah. No, we don't. They contradict themselves. They quote the hadith, which much of which is not even the words of the prophet, but just sort of a conglomeration of things they think he said, mixed in with corruptions and other things from tribes that inserted them 
into their so-called hadith in order to invoke supremacist control. That's why you see so many hadith that invoke hudud punishments, invoke misogynistic endorsements of, of violence and other things against women and minorities. But there are also many references to Ummah in the Qur'an. The Ummah in the Qur'an, there are 62 instances that the term Ummah is mentioned. And it can refer to ethical, linguistic, religious bodies. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish in the Qur'an from the word qawm, which is people. The Qur'an recognizes that the Prophet Muhammad came to a community, to an ummah. Yes, so the 7th century, I'm not saying to remove the concept of ummah from the 7th century. It's a historical concept. But I would say, if the Prophet were alive today... What would he do with Ummah? I would say that the world's Ummah is blind to faith. It's an Ummah of universal values, if you will, the UDHR, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That is the Ummah of today. The Muslim faith-specific community has its own belongings to various nation-states. But Ummah as nation should be done with. A historical construct that has no longer any relevance. That's what we should hold our Muslim communities accountable to. Gosh, you know, let alone the insurgency they end up being when they are here. Then you wonder why Care San Diego had a story this week in which its former employee and attorney is suing the heads of Care San Diego because she did not want to take down the flag out the window on the flagpole. And her boss insisted and ridiculed it and made the work environment horrible for her because she repeatedly said she wanted to leave the flag up. And the head of Care San Diego, the leadership, one of the leadership there, said he was sickened by it. He didn't want to see it every day out the window and he demanded that it be removed. She was fired and it was removed subsequently and she then sued for wrongful termination, as she should. But that story demonstrates how much of a separatist, how radical these, how, how much of a magnet for radicals the Council on American Islamic Relations is and how much of an insurgency they are living in beautiful cities like San Diego and yet hating this country and the flag for which it stands. They hate the symbolism even of patriotism of the flag they see it as evil they see it as a representative of the american military as that the military is not a force of good as i've talked to you before but they see the military as a, a force of evil why the hell are they still here why because they see their role with the ummah globally and thus they they work within states when they're a minority in order to weaken the non-Muslim communities from influencing Muslim ummas. So the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is that this is a battle of ummas, battle of communities and nations. And we Muslims need to de-ummatize our leaders, de-ummatize our consciousness, 
and begin to redefine for our kids that the only ummah we belong to and that we would die for is the American ummah, the Egyptian ummah, the Canadian ummah, the secular state's ummah. Not the Brotherhood Ummah, not the AKP's Ummah, not the Khomeinists Ummah, not the Islamists Ummah, which is a global caliphate, a supremacist construct in which other Muslims that disagree or non-Muslims do not have the same rights. Their rights are from Islam rather than from God. And the Ummahs that we belong to are universal ones that do not get their rights from the Quran, but rather from God. Yes, for a Muslim, we believe the word of God is the Qur'an, and we believe that its teachings are those that teach us about the rights that we have. But there's so much more to life, and that should not be what drives a government. The government should be driven by a a constitution that's universal. We have to look at the separation between history of what happened with the initial ummas, be it in Mecca, Medina, and all these different battles that happened, and modernity, and reject the attempt to profile, to to transplant things that only related to 6th and 7th century. And by, by the way, the West didn't even abandon its own theocracy till its... 16th, 17th, 18th century. Islam is now 1,440 years old. It is into that 15th century in which it's beginning to abandon its theocracy. And we need to stand by that abandonment and not allow the theocrats to continue to control what is and what is not Islam. We need to hasten the de-ummatization. Not to weaken the sense of community or weaken the sense of need for congregations or assembly not at all but I am sick and tired of hearing sermons about the one nation how can you live in America and believe that you want your kids to join the military want your kids to be part of keeping this country safe and believing in what it stands for, if you don't believe in this legal system, if you don't believe in the contract that is Americanism, and you talk about one nation, you are a threat, you are radicalizing our community, and you are an insurgency. Not that the the, the Muslim population of 4 or 5 million could ever take over. That is beyond conspiracy theories. That's absurd. But... They serve a purpose as an insurgency, which is to weaken foreign policy interests, to weaken the impact that the most powerful leaders of the free world have on Middle Eastern policy, against Islamists. I mean, look at how much protest they're having. It's American policy to declare the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization, be it the Egyptian, Yemeni, Kuwaiti, Syrian branches. This is what their insurgency is about, is to protect the interests of Islamists, to protect the interests of Islamist movements from Turkey to Iran. Let me give you another example. We heard this week, Eric Enes Cantor, Enes Cantor, sorry, not Eric, Enes Cantor, 
the Turkish basketball player, NBA player for Portland, who does basketball camps in the summer, and he tweeted out how disappointed he was in the Dallas Muslim community. Why? Because they systematically boycotted his camp in Dallas. Now you ask yourself, why would a bunch of mosques in Dallas boycott a Turkish NBA player who's been lauded as being courageous because he was condemned by Erdogan, the Turkish government's party, the Turkish government's Islamist Muslim Brotherhood party, lauded because he loves his faith and stood up to the heinous oppression, the Islamist theocrats of the AKP and Erdogan's cult. And he stood up to them. He's a disciple, a follower of Fatullah Gulen, believes in the Hezmet movement. And regardless of what you believe about that movement, and I've certainly been critical, this is what freedom is as people develop their own sex, their own beliefs and divisions. That's the beauty of humanity is our divisions. It's not our homogeneity. It's our heterogeneity. And he stood that, and he, and and in Ramadan he did Instagrams of his early morning suhoors, his breakfasts, his ability to fast during his games into the semifinals and other things. Just amazing, great role model. Do you think he's going to be brainwashing kids about his Gulenist movement in a basketball camp in Dallas? Nah. So what's up with the boycott? Well, it should be obvious to those of you inside baseball or basketball. Right, the Islamists, the the basically the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey is running the government. The Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood of the Arab Sunnis in America that dominate most of the mosques are in bed deeply with Erdogan. It's part of the axis of the Ikhwan, Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt, Hamas. Iran's Khomeinis on the Shia side, and Turkey's AKP, that triangle that Qatar is in the center of, is working together hand in glove against the rest of the Muslim world. And the Saudis and Egyptian government and others have declared war on them, but in America, the Islamists of the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, from the Islamic side of North America and most of their mosques together have basically, you know, if you look, Muhammad Majid, the former head of ISNA, was in Turkey on election day, work standing side by side with Erdogan. So the, the, the fealty goes right to the top. So when an NBA basketball player starts working with mosques, there's nothing more threatening What's the largest mosque in the United States? The Baltimore Dianet Center. Dianet is the religious bureaucracy controlled by the Turkish government. They built an outpost of a foreign government through a mosque in Baltimore. $10 million plus. That, by, the, by the way, that's not religious freedom, ladies and gentlemen. Foreign governments building mosques on our soil that become outposts, outposts 
of ideological threats to our society against secular liberal Americanism is absurd. Well, the mosques work hand-in-hand, these Muslim Brotherhood mosques, that is, work hand-in-hand with the AKP and with Khomeinists and all the Islamist movements. You go to Pakistan with the Diobandi movements. So it's not a surprise that they boycotted Ennis Cantor. And Ennis tweets out, he says, it's a sad state of affairs when we see this happen. A sad state of affairs. Should be no politics in basketball. There should be no sectarianism. This should be about Americanism and helping our kids. And what's the message they're sending the kids in Dallas and elsewhere? And this should have been covered more. No, CNN's too busy letting the Ikhwan of the Muslim Brotherhood of Mahdi Hassan speak for Muslims on CNN. So God forbid Ennis Cantor have a voice. Let him debate, Mahdi. Let the rest of us that are against the Brotherhood, that reject the theocrats, reject their monopoly on who we are, know that we stand with Ennis Cantor. We stand with his camps. We hope real, courageous kids can become part of his camps and reject the Brotherhood's attempt to control what our community does or does not do. When we had our Muslim Liberty Project, same thing. Some of the mosques locally were saying, don't go to Jasser's camp. You know, this is a cult, et cetera, et cetera, which is just completely absurd. And I was, we are mainstream Sunni in our thought when it comes to religious theology, but we reject political Islam, we reject their leadership, so therefore all of a sudden that made us into a cult. So much to talk about. As always, it is just beyond humbling. It is an honor to be with you week to week. We covered a lot of ground this week. Help me. Help Muslims challenge the ummah. De-ummatize our community. And begin to set aside the concept of this one nation, supposedly. No. My only nation is America. God bless the United States of America. We'll see you next week. This is Zudi Jaster on Reform This. Share this. Subscribe on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio or at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.